And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You need to know the punishment for your sins was poured out on Jesus so it wouldn't have to be poured out on you. You live in grace. You live in mercy. Being uncondemned. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, David took us to the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. It's the powerful story of Jesus speaking with a woman caught in adultery. So what's the real takeaway from this story? Here's David continuing his message simply called Jesus's Extraordinary Grace. The law of Moses says that if a man and a woman are caught in adultery, both of them should be stoned again. Where's the guy? Nowhere to be found. The law demands that she be stoned to death. What do you say? And here's what they were trying to do. They're trying to trap Jesus. Because if he says, yeah, stoner, I am committed to the law of Moses, as every faithful Jew was, Jesus looks like he's caring, unloving, and all of the masses, most of whom were middle to lower class, people in great need, he healed many of them, he fed them, they were the ones following him. If he said stoner, he looks like he's uncompassionate, that he is removed from them, and the multitudes are going to walk away, and that's partly what the Pharisees and the religious leaders wanted. They didn't want all the masses to follow him. But then also, if he turns around and says, no, don't stone her, and he shows compassion to the sinner like he did all of his ministry, they're going to come back and say, well, you as a teacher don't believe in the law of Moses. You see the trap they'd set for him? And either way, it looked like they were going to be able to charge him with being an evil person and allow the multitudes to walk away. Look what Jesus did. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. He, he first of all, bent down. He lowered himself. He, he humbled himself. This whole idea of the God of the universe lowering himself. Jesus left the splendor of heaven to come to the squalor of this earth. He lowered himself. Here he lowers himself amidst all of this tension and the accusations leveled at her, now at him. And he starts writing something with his finger in the ground. Hmm. Hmm. A couple thoughts here. One is we, we see two other examples in the Old Testament of God's finger. The first of all is on Mount Sinai when God's finger comes down and writes on two tablets the perfect moral law of God. And isn't that interesting that those two stone tablets were ground together from where? The dust. So indeed, God is writing His Ten Commandments with His finger on the ground, on the dust, as he's giving his moral law. The second place is in the book of Daniel as God writes on the walls of Nebuchadnezzar a judgment against him that's going to come. So God can communicate in whatever way he wants to. Here, Jesus is using his finger. I can't help but think he knew of those stories in the Old Testament, particularly the writing of the law. People throughout the ages have asked the question, what did Jesus write? Isn't that going to be a wonderful thing to see in heaven when we get to heaven and go, Jesus, what did you write in John 8? I want to know so much. What was it that you wrote down? And many have guessed like he wrote down the word hypocrite as these Pharisees in their hypocrisy were accusing her when they were so judgmental in their own sin. Some think like Moses, he may have been writing down all of the Ten Commandments and just showing how many of them were being broken by the religious leaders in the way they were handling this very broken woman, how they 
weren't honoring God and how they weren't honoring their families and how they were lying and bearing false witness about who she really is. But I wonder, too, if maybe he wasn't specifically writing down the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, uh, to say to her and to everybody that that is a part of the moral law of God. Who knows? We won't know until heaven, but Jesus is writing something down in the sand that is very powerful. And as they continue to ask him, so they badgered him. Folks, when you're being accused by somebody, isn't it interesting? Those voices just don't stop. When somebody's trying to put you down and make you feel under condemnation, the voices just don't stop. And you know what's interesting? It's not only voices from without, people oftentimes whom you've loved and respected come after you, but it's also those voices from within. In Revelation 12, 10, it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses and accuses and accuses over and over again. It's amazing how often that voice in our hearts begins to sound repeatedly like our own as we start condemning ourselves for all that we've done wrong, we start blaming ourselves. We say that God is punishing us, that we're having unanswered prayers because God is accusing us of all the things we've done wrong. We start imagining every pain we've had in life as God's punishment of us. That voice is incessant. It repeatedly tears us down. So they continued to ask him, and he stood up and said to them, now remember he's on the ground writing with his finger. Now he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So I think that gives some credibility to the fact that maybe Jesus wrote out all of the Ten Commandments in the sand, and they could then look at those Ten Commandments, and Jesus maybe even pointing at the writing of the Ten Commandments in the sand, and then looks at them and says, whichever one of you who's without sin, throw the first stone. Because Paul, later on in the New Testament, and this guy named Paul, for those of you who don't know, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said one of the major purposes of the law is to convict us of our sin. I would invite all of you to go through each one of the Ten Commandments and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me how I've broken each one. And you go, well, I've never committed adultery. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you've even lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. Because the lust of the heart's what begins the whole operation of adultery. Have you ever lusted in your heart towards someone other than your spouse? Well, then you've committed adultery. Or how about murder? I've never committed murder. Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you even have had an angry thought, you've committed murder. Why? Because murder begins with that first angry thought. It leads to that commission. If you have an angry thought in your heart, you've committed murder. You're guilty as well. Go through each one, especially the last one, which was the one that convicted the apostle Paul that he was a sinner and needed the saving grace of Jesus. Thou shalt not covet. Be envious. Be jealous. Again, it's the hidden disease of the heart we so often don't want to own up to because it's so hideous, it's so evil, so inglorious, coveting. And that's the one that convicted Paul. It convicts all of us. Maybe they started looking at the Ten Commandments right there and went, ouch, 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 ouch. And they realized that they all were sinners and they could not throw the first stone because their sin was as great, if not greater, than hers. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. So he then writes some more in the sand as he bends back down. And some people have wondered if he knew these religious leaders. I mean, he had been in Jerusalem. He'd experienced them before. He knew Nicodemus, for example, after an evening with him. Some people have wondered if he didn't write down the names the second time of the religious leaders and then draw a line to each one of the commandments. He knew that they had personally broken and they saw him write their names and then draw a line to 
that particular commandment that they have broken. In John 2, 22 through 25, it says Jesus knew what was in everybody's heart. He was God in human flesh. He could look inside everybody's human heart and see what was really going on. And then he says, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. Then he writes some more on the ground, maybe connecting them with their particular breaking of the Ten Commandments. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So one by one, as they recognize their own sin, they drop their stones. And then they start walking away, first the older ones, then progressively downward to the younger ones. Here's the truth. Do you get dirtier running a 100-yard sprint or a 26-mile marathon? Which one makes you dirtier? Well, of course, the 26-mile marathon. You're running longer, and you have more chances for dirt and sludge to splash on your body. The same is true in life. For those of us who've lived a number of years, we know how sinful we are. The older we get, the more sinful we know we are. And we can't judge anybody because we know in our own hearts we're wicked and selfish. And save Jesus' new heart he's put within us, we deserve hell. And that's what happened then. The older people who realized in their long marathon of life they'd really screwed up, they started dropping their rocks. One by one, from the older to the lesser, they walked away and went home. And Jesus is left alone with the woman. You know, dear friends, at the end of the day, at the end of life, you're going to be left alone with Jesus. There's not going to be any other person there except you and Jesus. And you're going to have to answer for how you've lived your life. And he's going to ask you, did you accept my gift of grace, the forgiveness of your sins, defeating all the accusations in your head by my gift of love through the cross of Calvary? And if you've received that, he's going to put his arms around you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you don't respond to his question positively and you continue to think that you're going to get into heaven by your good works or you're somehow good enough, Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I know you not. He's left alone with this woman. It's just him and her. He wants to see now where her heart is. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? First of all, woman, it is a term of deep affection, and endearment. In John 2, when Mary was all aghast at the fact that the wine was gone and it was going to make the couple look bad and the party was going to be a disaster, she went to Jesus and said, can't you help us out here? And Jesus' response to her was, woman, gune in the Greek, woman. It was a term of deep affection. He loved his mama. He cared for her deeply. It's the same term he uses for this woman caught in the very act of adultery. Woman, gune, affection, endearment, love, intimacy. Woman, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Where are they? Jesus drove them all away. His love, grace, mercy, compassion, and kindness drives all the accusations away. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? There are no more voices left to condemn her. She has received the Lord's love. And here in verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. There are no more accusers, but what's most important in this short little pithy three-word sentence is that last word, 
Lord, capital L. She acknowledges that Jesus is the Lord of the universe. He is God in human flesh. He's the one who came to forgive us of our sins. He is the Lord of love who engulfs our hearts and out of our innermost being flow streams of living water. She acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. Left alone with him, she says, you are Lord. She receives his gift of forgiveness and love. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I don't condemn you either. Dear friends, when you receive Jesus as Lord, you not only receive his forgiveness, you know there's no condemnation at all in him. He does not condemn us. He never condemns us. Here's one of Paul's points in Romans 8. He says, how can the one who is praying for you in heaven right now, how can the one who is lifting up your needs in prayer to the Father right now through the power of the Spirit, how could that one who is uttering your name in beloved love to the Father right now, how can that same voice that is lifting you up in love before the Father right now be the same voice that's condemning you? It's tacitly impossible. You can't have the same river, life and death. It can't happen. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. Where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. And dear friends, if you feel condemnation and accusation, again, Revelation 12, 10, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That voice you're hearing in your head that sounds like your own is not Jesus. He has forgiven you. There's no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. That voice is from the accuser. Recognize it and say, no vacancy in my mind, sign above your door's mind, and take a spear, invite him out, and say, I don't want to listen to you anymore. And then when you invite him out of your brain, he doesn't speak to you anymore, and you only hear these words from Jesus through the Spirit. I love you. Woman, man, I care for you. I'm in control. I have a plan for you. I'm working it all out. I know it's painful. I know you feel caught in the quagmire of this sin, but I came to set you free, and I will set you free by my power. I love you so much. And then he says to the woman one final thing, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus does want a holy life after we've encountered his grace. But our lives of holiness and obedience to him flow from his forgiveness. In another place in the scripture, Jesus says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. The people who really understand the grace, mercy, and kindness of Jesus on that cross, when we realize the horrific death he underwent to have our sins poured upon himself and not the punishment poured upon us. When we realize there was a substitutionary atonement that God so loved us that he poured out all of his punishment upon Jesus and not us, we're never the same. We're never the same. And for those of you who fear like, God is punishing you right now for something you did wrong. You need to know that perfect love has to cast out all sin and fear has to do with the fear of punishment. That's what the Bible says, that if you live in fear, you're constantly worried that God's out to get you. He's out to punish you. You need to know the punishment for your sins was poured out on Jesus so it wouldn't have to be poured out on you. You live in grace. You live in mercy. You live in the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you know how abundantly he has loved you, you then live a life of sexual purity. You live a life that gets in touch with your tongue and doesn't gossip. You get in touch with how to love your neighbor and not hate your neighbor. You realize how evil, envy, strife, and jealousy are. You get rid of that stuff. You crucify that stuff to live a life that's holy unto the Lord. Again, your life flows from Jesus' forgiveness 
and you desire to sin no more. If you're going through a time of sin, go to the cross. And when you survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, your pride is crucified and you give your life anew to Him and you live a holy life, not because you have to under the law, you do it because you want to under grace. To Jesus alone and always belongs all the glory forever and ever. Trust in His Word. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, in Jesus' magnificent name and the power of Your Spirit, I pray that if anyone out there right now has never given their life to you, they never stood face to face with you, that they would hear your invitation to come and be with them. I pray, Lord, that you would forgive their sins and give them a new life. And I pray, Lord, there'd be somebody right now who's watching this who says, I feel under condemnation. I feel under accusations. I feel like all the punishment for my sins are being poured out on me. And I pray that they would give that to you now, Lord, and let you intervene on their behalf and give you the gracious gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Lord, I pray for all of us who keep hearing those accusations in our head. We would know where they're coming from. We would jettison the evil one from our minds and fill our minds with the Word of God. And when we do so, Lord, fear and anxiety abate and decease. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name right now that we would walk as a holy people in Moments of Hope Church. I pray we'd be a different kind of people, ones who have purity in all the areas of our lives. And we do so only because we have gotten in touch with the magnificent, wondrous, splendorous grace of Jesus. And I pray we'd be known around the city and around the world as a church that's different, that's holy, that is set apart and living in such a way that people are amazed at what you're doing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are good and your mercies endure forever. It's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about this morning's e-devotion. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, uh, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center, and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now 
This week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals were shipped to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seeds you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Jen. Great to be with you. Well, David, this week we've had the honor of sitting in the front row as you have shared with us stories and insights about your brother, Howard. What is on your heart today? Well, if listeners haven't joined us beforehand, my brother, Howard, passed away a week ago, and it was a very quick and sudden departure from this earth, uh, caught COVID, had some pre-existing conditions, and died a week after he was put in the mm-hmm. hospital on the ventilator. Um, I just miss him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking through grief, and uh, as many of our listeners have as well, as they have lost the loved ones, not just to COVID, but other diseases or problems in this world. And one of the things that really hit me as I'm remembering Howard, and, and one of the things we've tried to do with people is to encourage them to remember well their loved ones, because it's one of the ways you can fight grief. Mm. I've thought about Howard's life and, and how he was raised in a preacher's kid's home, as I and my sister Carolyn were, but he was the rebel. <laughs> he was the one who did not like living in the glass house of a preacher's house. And he rebelled against my dad's authority on many occasions, you know, went off to college and, you know, just didn't really believe much at all and lived a life that was not very pleasing to the Lord. Uh, He ultimately got involved with the occult. He was greatly gifted as a musician and he was convinced by some character out in California that he was Thaddeus Jude reincarnated and was going to be a part of a movement that was going to sweep the world in revival and he was going to use his musical gifts in magnificent ways for that, for the glory of God. And uh, he came back from California and fell into a deep depression, uh, almost took his life. And my dad rushed from Orlando, Florida, where we were living at that point, to go care for him. And I'll never forget in a sad moment, embarrassingly sad, I said to dad, don't go there, dad. He's been the one who's caused all these problems for you and mom all these years. And at that moment, I realized I was the younger brother who was the older brother in the Luke 15 Mm -hmm. parable of the lost son. Mm -hmm. I was the self-righteous one. Dad went to him and loved him. In fact, he said to me as he was leaving for the airport, why am I going? Because he's my son. And I saw the unconditional love of the father in my father toward Howard. And I think dad's presence in Howard's depression was one of the ways that Howard began to turn around. Mm -hmm. He moved from Nashville to Atlanta and actually became the janitor of the church that I was a part of overseeing the college ministry. So you can imagine me with my older brother, Howard, this guy I idolized being the janitor in the church when I was heading up the college ministry. It was embarrassing for me, but I loved him and cared for him. One night, preparing for the worship service on a Sunday around midnight on Saturday night, he had an encounter with Jesus. Hmm. And the light shone upon him, and God just zapped him. His life turned around. He gave his life to the Lord. Uh, He went back to seminary. He'd gotten a degree from Vanderbilt Seminary while he was, uh, after he'd graduated from college. And now he continued his education, got a degree, became a pastor in the church, and was a pastor in Daytona Beach, Florida for almost 40 years before COVID took his life. Oh, my goodness. So I guess, Jen, the point being that I'm remembering well that God's grace is stronger than our sin. Yeah. And that he can transform 
transform any life. Yeah. Howard was so lost at some point, but God touched him deeply. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. All of Howard's old passed away. He became a magnificent minister of the gospel. Married to Ramona for almost forty years. Mm. Just a great guy. God can transform any life, and I hope that gives hope to any listener right now going through some dark days. Well, that sure gives hope to me, and I just love that. A new creation. Mm. Wow, that's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing these moments with us today. Well, thank you, Jen. Great to share them. Love you, Howard. Hope you're listening from heaven. And listeners, if you'd like these daily written Moments of Hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there from my heart to yours to begin each day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for our teachers preparing for the new school year. 